Groundhog Day for Norwich City. Another defeat leaves their playoff chances hanging by a thread. A 1-0 defeat to Sheffield United at Carrow Road on Saturday. Plenty more to discuss and I feel a lot of old ground left to recover. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm your host Connor Southwell, joined by Samuel Seaman to my right, Paddy Davitt to my left uh, and uh, we are bringing this show to you in association with Future Radio as well. You can listen to it on there on Wednesday nights. Mr Davitt, where to start other than saying that was all very predictable wasn't it sadly it was and um more more of the same you know the, i mean I've, the stats tell their own story but uh the one that sticks in my head put it in my pointers was that is now eight league defeats at Carrow road this season and they've won eight as well so you know any team with any aspirations to either go up automatically or as it has been reset by David Wagner after the Stoke draw playoffs, eight, eight home defeats is, um, you know, well, it leads to mediocrity. And that's unfortunately what we have now with this group of players. David Wagner, who we see behind us, is saying nothing has been decided after what we've seen a few hours earlier. Um, but I think we all felt before this game and now more evidence today that um, this group players are not good enough and that there's some major re revamping slash rebuilding needed in the summer. But, you know, we'll probably get into that in due course. There'll be plenty of time between now and the summer to, to really drill into what next. In the here and now, you know, the manner of the defeat, 92nd minute before Marquinhos has a shot on target. I mean, that's just frankly, uh, it's unacceptable. And uh, we'll get into obviously the reasons why, but, but fundamentally, I think, more evidence against the team who I think have gone six points clear of Middlesbrough now after the, their result of Middlesbrough's defeat at Huddersfield. A team who was second in the table, seemingly following Burnley into the Premier League. Um, and they were just better in all facets of the game today. And they they looked streetwise, they were resilient, they were uncompromising when they needed to. Norwich don't possess any of those traits. And, and unfortunately, if you don't have those in the Championship, that's a prerequisite to be fighting out at the top end of the table. Um, and it's it's really just sad to acknowledge, but this this group have reached the end of the road. And as I say, now it would seem Wagner is going to be tasked with sifting the wheat from the chaff and uh, and somehow or other with, with support from above and support from the terraces, trying to turn this, this team and club around for me because... It's very end of an era, and and we saw that I think again today. You know where were Sheffield United markedly better than Norwich? No, but they just looked like a group of players who were basically heading in the right direction. Whereas unfortunately, the group in yellow and green they look like they've uh, probably reached the end of the road. Some of them. So you know, big big summer ahead, but in the here and now, I guess while they're still not mathematically out of the playoff picture, we'll, we'll press on. But um, all I'd say is, can you, on the evidence of what you've seen today, on the evidence of what we saw at, here again previously against Sunderland and in between Huddersfield and Stoke, would you back this group to go to Blackburn now on Good Friday and then Rotherham here on Easter Monday and get six points? I certainly wouldn't. No, and for me as well, on, on the playoff debate, this is going to sound very negative and very defeatist, I know, but... It's a bit like to what end this group might finish sixth, but what's kind of what's the point almost? Because you're, gonna, you're then probably going to have two legs. It's likely going to be against Middlesbrough or Luton, 
Norwich get beat in both those legs, don't they, pretty convincingly on, on the evidence of what we've seen so far this season. And that's probably why I probably feel, and I'm sure a lot of fans and, and listeners to this will feel, uh, and obviously our readers as well, pretty wary, um, exasperated at the current situation, Sam, because we can talk about rebuilds and we can talk about this group. We've already kind of covered the main topics, really. It's just the fundamentals of it and and I guess the reality that this group that was compiled for quite a bit of money quite a considerable amount of money we could we could go through the team but you've got Ben Gibson who's worth or was worth eight million pounds um they spent money on Christos Scholis on Josh Sargent players in this team who should be performing and ultimately you've got a pretty fatal concoction there of players who aren't as good as they used to be, players who haven't fulfilled their potential and players who perhaps aren't as good as, as perhaps they needed to be this season. Do you understand that wariness and that kind of exasperation that a lot of Norwich fans feel? Because we were in the stadium today, it was only 1-0, it was around 75 minutes and the place was empty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was speaking to our colleague Adam earlier today and I was saying that even if I wasn't in this job and I was just back in the position of, of being a fan that, you know, Pay to go week in week out. I don't think I would be particularly enthused by what I was seeing. I certainly wouldn't be excited by it, and um, I maybe would be inclined to stop putting my hand in my pocket and paying to watch this team because it's a really really difficult time to be a Norwich City supporter. Because even if they had been promoted, the expectation and the discussion, even at the start of the season when things were going relatively well, results wise, was still how are things going to look in the Premier League and how are Norwich going to make a success of themselves there? And if the bar is that high and if the goal is achieving in that division, you know how bad and how disappointing does it feel to now be in a situation where they're, they're clamouring for an opportunity to even give themselves a chance in the playoffs? And as you outlined earlier, even if they get there, they're probably not going to end up in the Premier League next season. So they're so far away from what they've aimed publicly aimed for publicly by the way not not just behind the scenes and this isn't just our interpretation of what the club will want their messaging has been the goal this season was to go back to the premier league and right now it feels like they're a, a far way away from that and when you set you know when you set the bar that high which rightfully they should have done by the way because after two consecutive promotions they should really be giving themselves a chance establishing themselves in the Premier League you just you just wonder where where they go from here really because I don't know if anybody in that stadium this afternoon was thinking Norwich are on the way to to Premier League safety and sustainability I think most of them were worrying about going the other way actually and they were worrying about whether Norwich will even be competing for promotion next season because you look at the squad they've got now and added to the fact that most of those players are declining is the fact that their best one is probably going to leave this summer, especially if they don't if they don't get promoted. In fact, I'd say if they don't get promoted, it's very near certainty that Tamer Pookie won't be here next season. Um, and there are a number of players sort of in that bracket and you look at it and just think, what sort of championship side are they going to be next season? And for me, it's a mid-table side at best unless they do some absolutely incredible recruit- recruitment work in the summer. And... Uh, Recent evidence on that front doesn't suggest that they will. So it certainly feels like a very bleak time to be a Norwich fan. And, you know, I don't blame any pessimists whatsoever. Um, the fact that they still turn out in in relative numbers, you know, compared to the Championship, it's still incredible attendances. I think the official one uh, today was 26,801, which is unbelievable. Well remembered. 
Yeah, thanks very much. You write it down enough times. I've already is. forgotten everything that happened, to be honest. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a, a difficult time for them and, and fair play for still putting their hand in their pocket. I think it's 20,000 season tickets sold already and that shows just how incredible this fan base is and they deserve to be rewarded more than they have in recent weeks. Yes, they they do, and and look, we could we could sit here and we could dissect the game. I think to an extent, that's that's a little bit uh, futile because I think we we would all draw the same conclusion. Sheffield, unless I mean, shout if you disagree, but Sheffield United were the, were the better team. They uh, they certainly had the better chances. They they hit the bar in the first half with a header. Billy Sharp hit the hit the bar post post Thanks, in the second with with what was a a really good strike. The goal was onside. I think replays have, have suggested that to be the case, although David Wagner was a, a little bit peeved with uh, a pass in the build-up, I think, although I haven't necessarily seen that back, so can't really comment on that at this stage. Um, and yes, uh, he's probably right. You can't really fault the work rate. It's a quality point. But I guess the, the, the point underpinning it all, Paddy, and this is probably the point that we've been at all season with this Norwich City group, is that we know the levels can be so much higher than this. Injuries or no injuries. And I know David Wagner would, would probably counterpoint that they've got Kieran Dowell out, they've got Onel Hernandez out, they've got key attacking players out. Um, although beyond those two, I, I would maybe argue that there's not too many who have been frontline options this season anyway. Um, but the, the point is, four games ago, Norwich went to Millwall, they recorded a 3-2 win. They did it in relative, I wouldn't say comfort, but certainly the way that they did it offered encouragement in terms of their grit, their character, the way that they played, that ability to raise their levels to beat a side in and around them. And at that point, we were probably talking about top six, or some people were talking, I don't think we were necessarily, but I think some people were talking about top six being a little bit of an, uh, well, it's going to happen. That, that was kind of, it was going to be, it was kind of decided. Yet since that, they've lost 1-0 to Sunderland, drawn at Huddersfield, uh, drawn nil nil at Stoke in pretty horrendous circumstances, um, and obviously lost here today against Sheffield United. They've had two shots in, in in eighty-eight minutes of football across the last two games. They've scored one goal, which came against Huddersfield. I, I mean, the drop off from that Millwall game has been so incredible, uh, and that in in a way encapsulates this season. That kind of idea that this Norwich group can produce better, and we all know they can, and yet we find ourselves in a run like this where everyone's probably expecting a little bit more than, than what they've seen. They, they've, we all feel probably a little bit undersold. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, you, 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 you've narrowed that down to Millwall onwards, but effectively that is this season for yeah. this group of players under two different managements. It's worth stressing. Um, you know, for, the, for, any, for any who felt all the ills were at the door of Dean Smith and Shakespeare and Bramley and, and Alan Russell maybe later, has, has proved not to be the case, but... Flattering to deceive is probably the best phrase, really, for, for, if you want to put a label on this, this season for Norwich City, that they are seemingly capable of better because in small samples we've seen it and most recently that is the Millwall game. and um, Isn't all on the players. I think Wagner needs to have a good look at how he set, set them up today particularly. Um, and it's not been wise after the event. We We did the team news before the game and was slightly at a loss to, to see where he was going with that setup, and and for me, Millwall is a watershed because that was the game where Gabby Zara, the match winner that day, who was excellent. I mean, Wagner labelled that display from him as, you know, a typical British midfielder, and that was meant as a compliment in the sense of that he married. My take on it was that he married the the technical and the quality elements with that robustness, competitive edge that you you need in this league particularly, but but English football more broadly. And 
And that day we saw him with Sorensen and McLean behind him and he was given that licence to be basically devastating in and around the opposition penalty box. Well, since then, by and large, and we saw it again today, you know, effectively out of possession in the first half at least, he was in a central four alongside Josh Sargent. More often than not, he was picking it up off the back four in his own box. You know, that for me isn't particularly then when you map overlay that with Pookie, Sergeant, Eda, last Evan games, I know they haven't played them all, they've all had their injury issues, one goal from that collective in the last 11 games. Is that about them though? Is that about the wider structure? Well, I guess them. that's the debate that a lot of people are having at the moment. Obviously, it is about the structure and the setup, which is which overlays, as I say, where, why Zara, for me, is playing in the wrong position now. If you want to get the maximum out of him and in his goal-scoring and his assist-making capabilities... But it is also about those individuals. You know, they're better than they've shown in this period. You know, Pookie and Sargent were, they raced to 11 goals, 10, 11 goals each. And, you know, since the turn of the year, it's, well, it's been a tale of woe. As I say, interspersed with injuries and Eder as well in that in that mix. But for me today, I think Wagner has to answer some serious questions, how he set them up. I think it was far too easy. I mean, the first half, it was seemingly the only attacking option or idea they had was for Hanley or, or Gibson to hit Pookie long um, and invariably over his head and over John Egan and it rolled through to the keeper. It was just painful to watch, really. So, you know, by all manner of means, focusing on the players, but I, I, I do think today, especially the head coach, needs to have a look at what he was striving to do and tactically how he went about it because I thought it was far too easy for Sheffield United. And to repeat what I said in, in my intro, you know, if you're mustering the one shot, or your first shot on target, 92 minutes in, clearly you have set up in the wrong way or the personnel you've selected haven't delivered. That That's inarguable. You, you cannot contend anything else. And, um, you know, it is it is frustrating. It is really frustrating to, to bring that right back to, to, to your point, Connor, which is this group of players I think are capable of better. And that was the, the subtext to a lot of Dean Smith this season that he wasn't getting the most out of a group of players who we all felt were capable of better. You have to say Wagner probably allowing for the uh, the injury issues and Dowell with every passing game and every passing week looks a huge miss now in terms of the impact he was having in the early Wagner reign. Um, so that's a hand he's, he's been dealt with. But but I do think Wagner isn't... It's certainly in these post-Millwall four games, you know, what is it, two points from 12. Um, all of those games, they should have should have been conceivably winning for me Stoke away maybe not less so but I don't think Wagner's extract Wagner is extracting the optimum from the available resource and um you know if he's not if he's not really coming up to the mark and the players aren't coming up to the mark is it any wonder that we we now have a a playoff bid in in name only and a promotion push which is which is effectively stalled and I think we'll probably unless something dramatically changes by the time we get the other side of well certainly Certainly Middlesbrough, which is uh, you know coming on the horizon after Easter, then I think we'll uh, we'll very much definitely be parking twenty two, twenty three, and uh, and trying to consign it to the history books rather swiftly. Forget consign it to the history books. I'm throwing it in the bin and setting fire to it. That's uh, the way this this season's gone. There was an interesting quote from from Chris Wilder, who, if you've missed it, is this week's Watford manager. Um, they lost today at, at Luton to, by two goals to Neil and. He spoke a, a bit about the hunger or lack of hunger within his group and spoke about a cultural reset, which is really interesting because they're two points behind Norwich City. So if you're putting Norwich in the playoff picture, we're probably putting Watford in it as well to the point where I, I did uh, something for Sky in the international break and there were, Watford were represented and that was supposedly a playoff debate. So 
by virtue of that, I guess we're including them. But I guess there's 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 some interesting similarity, not necessarily in terms of how the clubs operate, but in terms of how their seasons have developed in terms of expectation and this kind of wedge between expectation and, and reality. Are Norwich in the same boat? Do they need a bit of a, a cultural reset and, and a bit of a... I, I mean, the way I described it, I think, in my verdict today was a bit of realignment, a bit of this maybe clarity over what the plan is because I think when you hear people speak about Norwich who work for the club, we hear a lot about striving to be a Premier League club and perhaps a little less detail on the actual plan to get there, which perhaps, again, we're comparing them probably against all the versions of themselves, hasn't necessarily been the case. So is it a cultural reset that we're talking about? Reset's a word that's been banded about a lot. Is Are we talking about playing overhaul, cultural reset, both of them? Or what do you kind of think? Yeah, I think it probably is both of them, to be honest, because if Norwich had the appropriate players for a promotion push and had it been quite as easy as they maybe thought it was going to be going into the season, I think the players would have got them higher than they currently are, you know. Make no you know make no doubt about it. Having a good culture and inspiring good work from the players and everyone being in a positive mood and happy does make a difference for sure. And maybe it would have been the the couple of points that would have taken them from third to second. But it's not going to be the thing that takes you from seventh and four points away from the playoff places to the automatic promotion, which I think they they thought they could very reasonably achieve at the start of the season. You know, I think it's probably underlined how important that stuff was, how much we've talked about it this season, because prior to probably the Daniel Farker era, I, I doubt very much that there were too many discussions about culture or behind the scenes on the Pinkham podcast and now it seems like every week we're talking about how important that is and how sad and frustrating it is that that's declined so much. So I think it certainly is a, a very big thing. But in terms of those comparisons with Watford, I think there are a few things that probably c- contribute to that and leave the clubs in a similar situation. And one of them is that they're both on a pretty up and down yo-yo cycle. And like I mentioned earlier, the very baseline in the championship is getting promoted. So how do you create a positive feeling about the club? How do you have a positive culture when the only the only thing you can do is meet expectations? They can't really do much more than that while they're in the championship, right? So for the whole of this year, the only thing they could really be was satisfactory because of that, that situation and that assumption, especially from the outside and from external sources, that they will be promoted and... You know, I think that's a problem. And I also think a big problem is the chasm between the Premier League at the moment and the Championship because making that step from being promoted to being an established club is so hard and you have to get it so right. And that's why I think rightfully clubs like Brentford, who seem to be doing it on a long-term basis, Fulham, who hopefully for them are, are starting that process. It's why they've got so many plaudits and why it's fair that that's... That's what they've got because it's now increasingly a really, really difficult task to bridge that gap. So while Norwich are trying to do it, um, and I hope this doesn't sound like me making excuses for them or providing mitigation, um, they should have done it better. But it is getting an increasingly difficult task and that's why everyone feels worn out, I think, because they know what's on the horizon, even if they achieve the goal that they've got. So, yeah, I think inside the club, the culture certainly does need improving and it doesn't feel like a happy place to be. Carrow Road, for me, 
since I started going there when I was, I think, eight. So, like, 12 years ago was the first time I went to Carrow Road. This is the most toxic it's felt to me and, and the saddest place to be It's it's been for me since I started going there. So, yeah, definitely within the club, it feels like there needs to be some sort of reset and some sort of improvement. But I think the external factors are making it more and more difficult to be positive as a Norwich fan, player, member of staff. Um, so I think there are a few factors going into it, really. Yeah, we we recorded a podcast last week, but I'm conscious that I don't I don't want to do too much stuff on the reset because we've got seven shows left to do this yeah. season, so we've got plenty of time to kind of dissect and and, and properly inquest it. And obviously, of course, there is a uh, a chance, however slim you might feel, that Norwich could could still get promoted this year. So um, it's probably not worth us going through all of that in in minute detail. I have I won't go into it now, but I've got various concerns about what a rebuild would actually look like but I'll, I'll, I'll leave you waiting and wanting more on that um, we, we recorded a, a podcast last week and we we looked at uh, the eight games but but probably the the four really after this break which was obviously Sheffield United which has ended in in defeat I probably felt they needed to win it today um, I think you probably felt the same obviously they, they haven't but circumstances next week means and, and we'll come on to this towards the end of the podcast but they go to Blackburn Millwall uh, have Luton as well on Good Friday, so there is a a realistic prospect that if Norwich City could, and it's a, I, could is doing a lot of heavy lifting there, I know, but they could win at Ewood Park, and Millwall could lose at Luton. Both of those, I would say, are a relative. I mean, they're not impossible, um, and that would suddenly move them within one point of fifth and sixth again, and 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 so it becomes open again. So that's why I'm very conscious that we don't go into a kind of rebuild reset. And, and, and sort of use up all of our material and have nothing to speak about for seven weeks. But we said in that podcast it would take probably four wins, five wins from eight. Five. A few, few more than that, Connor. I think we decide, I think we didn't we decide on about six. I think you said six, but I think I think five. Well, you said fit. five would get you to. I mean, it's irrelevant now because we they haven't got one today. But um, I think I thought five would would leave them relying on other teams, which may be the case now anyway. But. Uh, Whereas I thought six but the, the, would control their destiny. So, uh, but the bottom line is six from seven. Don't see it. Yeah, and this group is—I'd I'd say five from seven—is is tough with, with the way this group. They don't score goals, and and maybe that's maybe that's the issue that, that we need to raise. Right, I think you've got three strikers who haven't scored in eleven games. Adam either scored once all season, albeit he was playing in a in a wider role. Temi Puki, I think, largely doesn't look quite as maybe switched on as, as what he has done in the past. And there's obviously a contractual situation there. Um, and I'm sure lots of people will have their own say on that. Josh Sargent hasn't quite looked the same player since he returned from the World Cup. There's been some injuries there as well, so mitigation perhaps. But it is a, a major issue. This and yeah, we For people who are watching on YouTube, we've got a, a headline behind us, which, which is David Wagner talking about... Um, his side's inability in, in front of goal. But it does come back to that structural point, doesn't it? And uh, we've got Ben Lee, who does a, a brilliant column for us every Monday, Tuesday, um, dissecting the tactics that Norwich have used at the weekend. And there's a, a theme, really, about the way they build up and kind of this gaping hole that they leave in the middle of the pitch. And, and essentially, I mean, Ben Gibson spoke about it after the game, really. You, you then forced to go a bit more direct and, you, and you're playing direct to Temu Puki, Josh Sargent, who is big but isn't massively physical or aerial in that regard. He's not someone who, who scores a high amount of headers or is particularly geared that way. Marquinhos, obviously, on the right, and, and Adam Ida. It's, it's 
difficult to see how this Norwich City team are going to score goals at the moment. And, and it, it links to that point that, that you referenced about Kieran Dowell. I know players are, tend to get better when they're, they're not involved, but yeah. he does feel like a massive miss at the moment because you, you go back to when Norwich City were playing well under David Wagner. Him on the right and Onel Hernandez on the left, they were a key part of it. Yeah, and that is worth stressing. It isn't just about Dowell. I think Hernandez as well. I think now you're seeing in their own very different and unique ways, but how they were facilitators and how they were connecting. To, I mean, my mind goes back to the Coventry away game, which was just the carnival of counter-attacking football. And Dow was pivotal. Hernandez scored that day. Sargent scored. But the movement and the interchange and you know part of that might have been Coventry played into their hands a little bit. But again... That day we went away thinking, because that was one of the, you know, maybe criticisms at Dean Smith that his in-game changes, his ability to almost get ahead of the tactical curve against his direct opponent and 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 to basically gain the upper hand. Well, Wagner did that, you know, that day particularly. And even then when Coventry came back, half-time he's deconstructed it. They were far more solid and played out that second half at the CBS with very few alarms and obviously added to their, their, their tally in the end. Kieran Dow as it comes back to me now, I think, finished the, the scoring that day. Um, but we have, where, where's that gone? Where has that gone? I, I know no Dowell, I know no Hernandez, but I don't want to labour the point, but for me, Wagner is now not ahead of the curve in these games. You know, Tony Mowbray outwitted him against Sunder- in the Sunderland game down here, tactically. Tony Mowbray admitted that, that this Norwich team give you chances, you know, that, that there is, there is. I'd imagine it's still the case that the, that stat about most individual defensive errors in the league, Norwich City, um, again, spanning two different managements, but still same players. Um, and essentially, if you can turn the ball over high within a pass, you're having a shooting opportunity. And that's how the game was decided against Sunderland. And I felt in the last two or three games as well, I, today, I don't, I don't think he got the upper hand in, with, with Heckingbottom in terms of how that game was constructed. And Sheffield United didn't press in the same way no, that we've seen exactly. teams do against Norwich. So, you know, it's, I just find it a little bit strange, really, and off-putting, because we have seen Wagner be very proactive and, as I say, in real time deconstruct the problems he was facing in those first few games. And he might just turn around and say simply, well, you know, you've got Kieran Dowell on the pitch, you've got Anil Hernandez on the pitch, you've got a better chance of deconstructing the issues and... Maybe that's what it boils down to. Now we're realising the importance of those two in his style of play and what he wants to do. And Dow particularly, that connector between the two centre-backs and three-slash-four players at the top end of the pitch, instead of aimlessly hitting balls into channels over the heads of Pookie, Sergeant, Eda. With Dow, you've got the, the cleverness to get in the half-spaces, get on the half-turn and and bring others into play. And um, I think it's increasingly... Uh, apparent that Kieran Dow needs to remain beyond the end of this contract. They need to get him signed up and uh, and then build a team around him almost, I think, next season because, you know, what we've seen in the last four games, it's crying out for that type of clever midfield operator. Again, Nunes rolled his ankle yesterday in training. He was deprived his services. That may have helped him, but... And again, not being wise after the event, but when I saw a front four... Front, Front three and Pookie of Sergeant Eder, and you know they're functional forwards for me. They're not players with the cleverness on the ball to play the style of football, which would give Norwich a degree of control. I think they probably have shaded the possession stats again today, but the way Norwich build up in the last two or three games, it's not a long-term recipe for success for me. You know what they're 
it's almost like they're falling between two stools and maybe one or two of those games where they where where they found it harder going playing the style Wagner went have they as he just tried to go a little bit more direct and, and and sort of veer away from that but the upshot is they're not winning games they're not playing well they're not scoring goals so for me I think he needs to maybe go back to a bit more to what we saw in the the Preston and Coventry type of games and um, and that for me is certainly getting Zara higher up the pitch um, but also I think the moment has come now. If Pookie isn't part of this moving forward, it might be time to say, well, we'll put you to the side and, and we need to go with Sergeant and Ida and, and, and incorporate them in a, a spearhead that actually does give Norwich a bit of a cutting edge because there is no cutting edge in these last three or four games. Again, Mark Ineos, I'm not sure he offered too much for me again. He had the shot on target. That well, was a wonderful yeah. shot on target. Yeah, after 92 minutes. Yeah, he didn't do too much in the previous 91 minutes. Um, and that's increasingly looking uh, a piece of business that isn't going to pay off in the way that anybody would have hoped. You roll the dice, sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't feel like that's going to pay off. Um, and and the frustration now in, in the much narrower confines of this season, don't think Dow's going to be back much before the Blackpool game. Hernandez, well, Wagner said on Friday, the other side of Easter, but that's a bit open-ended. So he's really going to have to come from the players he's got currently. And, and we, we wait to see how long Nunes may be out for. Hopefully that's not too serious. But, you know, I, I, f- I feel it, it's probably re- we've already reached the crossroads where he, he needs to take some tough decisions in the forward areas of the pitch, particularly because it feels a bit dysfunctional now. What Norwich are trying to do isn't paying off to try and do something different. And, you know, it was noticeable that Abu Kamara got a... Got a first taste of it at senior level in the second half. Jolis finished the game on the pitch. Liam Gibbs was on the pitch by the end. You know, is that almost a very clear signal from Wagner that the dial's beginning to turn? And that process may get accelerated now if, as we all fear, the results continue in this patchy vein between now and, well, certainly Middlesbrough. Because if they do, then the game will be up anyway and then it will be full steam ahead to next season. Yeah, they just they just don't have any creativity, do they? And, and I guess... I mean, Kieran Dow wasn't even massively involved before David Wagner took charge. So uh, it, it is, and, and this is where we're at, I guess, with, with the squad. The whole thing just feels very tired, very flat, very uh, unimaginative, not particularly creative. It's predictable, and, isn't it? I yeah. mean, that first half today... But if, I, I'd, if say, I'd say bottom... all about today was predictable. I, yeah. I, I, I got to, if, if, if I would have wrote down how I saw that game yeah. going, it was pretty much that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And... And if you're Hecking Bottom and his assistant um, Stuart McCall, I mean, you're thinking, is this all they've got? I'm I'm pretty sure they was they were stood there thinking, well, I think we can deal with this with our with our centre backs. You know, the towering. I'm not even going to pronounce his name. What's his name, Connor? The fifteen. Oh, don't ask me. I've no idea. Um, but him and Egan, you know, balls. Fought. I mean, that's if you could. I'm sure if they sat down and what what did, what balls are we happy to deal with in terms of our defenders? It would be. Long diagonals from you know centre backs and, and Kenny McLean, but which again you know I don't want to keep harping on, but for me, Wagner has questions to answer, and this is probably the first time I'm thinking today, looking at that, that that he 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 hasn't come up to scratch for me, and that's a concern. You know, he's is he he's either get now getting weighed down with it a little bit as well, and if so, then you know it's it's clear that this season has gone, and uh, and it will be about putting in the building blocks which yeah as you rightly say we'll part that for now but that's going to be uh in one window particularly a, a hellishly difficult job to undertake but that's for the 
that's for the future. And save it, save it. Yeah, we'll save. We'll have plenty of time to dissect that. But um, but yeah, no. T- for me today, we accept the mitigation with the injuries. Absolutely no no issue with that. But I still think Norwich and Wagner could have been a lot better than they were today. And the question's why and why why is this now a pattern? Four games post Millwall, that is a pattern and it's a regressive pattern. And ultimately, that's why they're as we sit here tonight, four points out of the top six and yes it could tighten up if the scenario you map out next good friday played out but i think we'll be traveling to ewood park with hope rather than expectation won't we i'm sure i've yeah, got that much hope i'm sure i've got hope to be honest <laughs> yeah. at this point yeah I, I don't i don't really under i was expecting him today to kind of revert back to what we saw at millwall with Sorensen in alongside mclean sarah pushed forward just to try and give them a little bit more control in, in central areas. You could then, if you wanted to play Adamida on the left, you could play Adamida on the left. And uh, I think it would just give them a bit more forward thrust and a bit more balance and a few more options and that ability to probably build up a little bit better. But also then if you want to go a bit more direct, I think you've got Sarah buzzing about who could get on yeah. second balls and, and try and play off that. So that to me felt a bit more of a logical way to go rather than kind of that, it was a bit more of a four-two-four really. It just kind of felt like... Uh, I don't want to use it, desperate is the word, but certainly an attempt to try and score goals. But it just didn't, it felt disjointed. It didn't really feel functional. You you were basically playing three players who want to be on the end of a cross rather than the, being the players who create a, a, a chance or, or put in the cross. It, and I get, look, he would counter that he doesn't have the, the bodies or the options to do anything different at the moment. And there's an element of truth in that. But I mean, I've just given an alternative way. I think he could, he could have gone today and... Um, to be fair, you lads will back back. I was saying this pre-match as well. It's not just with the the beauty of uh, of hindsight. Um, Sam, let's let's try and move this forward then a bit because it is it is Blackburn next weekend, and and for me, I know I know Paddy thinks it's it's probably done, and uh, I I feel it's done, but I don't think we can say it's properly done until it's done. Um, yeah. But a loss at Blackburn. Well, anything other than a win at Blackburn, really, because a, a draw would maintain this four-point cushion that they've got. Uh, and it, it, obviously, if if Millwall lost to Luton, it would they would only then be three points, and you, you're still relying on a two-game swing. So that's the question, I guess. They need to win next week, don't they? It, it is kind of do or die. Yeah, and I think they probably came into um, came into this set of eight <laughs> games and and realised that was the situation. To be honest. Um, I think for most teams who aren't where they want to be coming into the final eight games, it feels like every every match is must win. And I think when David Wagner first came in, he said that he liked the fact that Norwich were sort of chasers and hunters. And when you've got that fresh impetus of a new coach um, and players who are probably a bit relieved, certainly certain players relieved to uh, to move on from a regime that wasn't really working for them, it probably is actually quite nice to be, um, you know, the team that everybody's looking out for and the team that everybody's excited to watch and things. But now that that's died down a little bit, um, there certainly isn't any feeling whatsoever of a, a quote-unquote new manager bounce about Norwich at the moment. I think being in a rut and having to chase is really, really difficult and it does make every game absolutely vitally um, important, but for me, it feels slightly reminiscent um, of the sort of project restart period when it just felt like they had this target. And I remember Daniel Farker said five wins, and it, with every game, it was just slipping away. And 
he had to go into press conferences and and say, you know, oh, but it's not done yet, and it's not, and that's basically what we're seeing from Wagner. It's a bit, now. it's a bit like um, having one hand holding onto the top of the cliff, and I still pull myself up, <laughs> yeah, and just a finger slipping every minute is kind of what it feels. like. Yeah, no, it's funny actually. Um, me and me and my my housemate Ollie, we play tennis together, and we have a sort of a bit of a joke where if we're match point down, we will say, "Oh, we're still alive," and that's what it feels like to be honest with with Norwich at the moment. Still and nil nil. That's the one. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think we've all been there, sort of under thirteens level. You're eight nil down. Come on, lads. Still nil nil. Still a half to go, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, but it, I would be interested to know the sort of split of uh, how many Norwich fans are just keen to get this over with because. Uh, when when I was speaking to them after the game, there was definitely more of a, a vibe of not excited for the rest of the games than oh, a bit annoying, but back to the grind sort of thing, which is I'm sure what what David Wagner would would ask for. But I think it's fairly unrealistic at this stage to be optimistic about it. It's certainly possible, and maybe Norwich have the players playing at their very very best to squeeze in in one of the worst championships I think we've ever seen, but. With the trajectory they're on now, the fixtures coming up, it feels very difficult to see them getting in there. So unless they can produce a big win against Blackburn, maybe somebody gets sent off in the first 10 minutes for for them and it all falls in Norwich's way and we know what a big win can do for momentum and how that can change things and impact things in the championship. It's really hard to see them producing on a consistent basis because I'm not sure we've seen them put three good performances together, let alone seven um so yeah i don't feel entirely um optimistic but you know given we're, we're journalists we can't say now this we can't say 100 percent that it's over i'm sure the large majority of Norwich fans sat at home and watching this podcast are saying um it absolutely is and unfortunately that's the situation they're in and they've put themselves in that situation so um yeah i'm, I'm not sure how wagner really motivates these players because he's probably been saying we need to win this for weeks now, if not in public, then behind the scenes. So what added motivation can they have from being in a must-win game? Because it's felt like must-win for a, a long while. So as much as I don't want to bring more doom and gloom, it feels like you were trying to Well, you're going to get some positivity and, in it, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, there, there we go. So, you know, I think as much as I'd like to bring that positivity now, I, I can't really, unfortunately. Doing my best, Connor. I'm doing my best. Yes, and, and we'll come back to the the Easter schedule towards the end, and we'll uh, we'll get your lads' points predictions. I'm going to call it rather than rather than score predictions. So I'll I'll tee you up for that. Well, we're going to try and end on a bit of positivity. <laughs> so, um, Paddy, I, I, there were some some figures released on Friday, which are always released. I think on the on the thirty first of March about agent fees, um, which again probably leans into the the narrative around kind of expectation and uh, and various aspects of it which I'll I'll hand over to you on but the the headline figure was I suppose that Norwich City spent more on agent fees than any other club in the championship which is 4.3 roughly and I think I think Watford and and Burnley were in and around them but but no one spent more in the championship than the Norwich City chicken feed in comparison to Premier League obviously particularly Chelsea I think spent more than the entire EFL on, on agent fees which is pretty incredible but perhaps a little bit unsurprising um, just talk to us a little bit about those figures because I know there's plenty of mitigation in them. Um, but yeah, just give us your te- your take on that and I guess the narrative that some people will, will have around those as well. Yeah, well, basically these are FA published figures for intermediaries slash agent transactions in a 12-month time frame. 
which spans effectively last summer, um, so the window following relegation for Norwich from the Premier League, and then the January window, the most recent one. Um, so if you look at those two windows, what did Norwich do business-wise? Well, the headline arrivals were the two South American imports, you know, Sara and Nunes. Um, we know, I think it was in the published accounts, that Zara was an initial six million outlay in terms of the transfer fee, but, you know, really those two, are, plus obviously Isaac Hayden came in, there was a season-long deal there, the finances around that, but, but other than those, I mean, Marquinhos in the most recent window came in from Arsenal, again on a loan deal, there was a few updated contracts in that time frame Andrew Mabama Daly notably I think Tompkinson some of the other younger professionals and there was uh, because you get the you get the list of actual transactions and there was a Todd Cantwell transaction as well Simmons as well I think yeah. wasn't there yeah so so to terminate those those contracts basically there was a there was a transaction which and for, I guess for intermediaries that yeah. sometimes help create deals and set up exactly. deals and, exactly yeah. so a lot of strands to pull together but but essentially that you know not huge amount of business, you would say, uh, in terms of signings, um, but quite a sizable amount of money, and certainly the biggest in the championship. But to put it, place it in context, the last time they were in the championship, following on from a Premier League relegation, I think the figure was around about six point eight million, so considerably lower. But vis a vis what their other rivals have, have spent on agents' fees, intermediary fees in this twelve month period, you know best in class in that sense and I guess to follow on what you're saying there about narrative the narrative will be well what have they got for that outlay you know what have they got in terms of you know spending the most on intermediary fees and also another caveat it's not purely the 12 month period we're relating to these two windows there will be payments due from previous windows and previous um, sort of add-on triggers with with previous intermediaries and agent fees so it isn't completely all the business they did in these previous two windows but i'd imagine the majority of of that 4.3 million were the two windows we've we've just most recently concluded and for a team who are now seventh four points out of the playoffs with a stated ambition from the club before a ball was kicked to go back immediately to the premier league as they had done at the pre- previous two times of asking well, it all flows into, let's be honest, that the, the business they've done transfer-wise in these most recent windows isn't up to scratch. Um, because if it was, they wouldn't be seventh in the table. And for all those accusations you want to make at Norwich, the same apply to Watford, who spe- who have spent in this time frame intermediary-wise pretty much what Norwich did. And you'd already touched on it earlier. You know, Chris Wilder is coming out and questioning the culture after another defeat uh, earlier today for them at Luton. So, you know... The parallels between Norwich and Watford, and not in a good way, uh, are, are very clear and evident. And and this is another one that, uh, you know, despite seemingly um, spending quite quite a considerable amount by championship standards in the last twelve months, hasn't paid off. Certainly at this stage, it may well prove to be. Certainly, if you look at Zara, and there's already speculation and has been in the last few weeks about Premier League clubs looking at him, and and obviously when he when he was in his 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 fertile spell culminating in Millwall and, and he obviously did score at Huddersfield afterwards, then yes, you know, maybe maybe those figures being bandied around 20, 25, 30 million pounds worth of player, then it may well prove uh, to be, as we look back on this 12-month time frame, uh, you know, an inspired piece of business. But in the here and now, in the much narrower confines of 
Norwich's success or otherwise on the pitch in the Championship it hasn't paid off as of yet. Um, and that isn't all laid at Gabby Sara's door, of course. But as a club, in terms of the business they've done, it's continuing a theme, isn't it? Because, you know, the narrative from the window previously, the previous summer's window, which was the one spanning Championship promotion, Premier League, hopefully sustainability, we all know. We've we've dissected that window to death, you know, um, by Norwich's standards, a lavish outlay, 50, 60, 70 million, um, depending on, you know, where, where you pitch your tent with the add-ons and attendant clauses on a series of deals which were singularly not equipping that squad for Premier League sustainability. And as has been proven, certainly with Sargent, with Zollis, Rashica, not even here, out, out the door, um, hasn't equipped them to have a good attempt at getting back out of the championship. So I guess there'll be plenty of Norwich fans questioning again, the sporting director who who oversees uh, that element of the, the football operation. And, uh, you know, he will speak for himself, I'm sure. But uh, but ultimately, the figures from the FA's um, figures would tell you Norwich have spent as much, if not more, than every other club in the championship on agents and intermediaries uh, in the last 12 months for a team who are four points out of the playoffs and seemingly heading to um, another season of championship football. So make of that what you will. Yeah, and it's, it's a significant outlay as well, particularly for a club like Norwich where the, every, we know every penny, has, you, you kind of have to make it count, don't you, in, in that regard. So all I, all I would add to that is when you go into South America, you get players who are who can be owned by, by agents sometimes, who have multiple agents. There's some quite murky water with with agents uh, ownership and third party ownership and all of that kind of thing. Um, so that is maybe a, a pitfall of them going into the market that they're, good, that they're going into. Um, even though the transfer fees might be smaller, the agent fees might be slightly increased. So all of that's worth adding as well. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't help the narrative whether or not that's justified or, or not. Right. So um, that's that's interesting. Um, Sam, any, any positivity for me? Neil Warnock, that's quite a nice story. He's, uh, he's at it again. I don't know if you've got anything else for me. <laughs> Fullbacks were quite good. Um, I thought that was Max Aaron's best performance for a good long while. He's their crea- he's, he is, in all seriousness, their creativity at the moment, isn't he? He feels yeah. like their creative force. I think he... I, I'm struggling to remember too many times they got into the box without him. And yet he had probably two or three occasions where he burst into there and... Try to do something. Probably the end product should be better if he's going to be Norwich City's chief creative player. Um, but I felt, to be honest, he should have had a penalty in the first half. And mm. it feels like one of those where it happens so early in the game, it almost gets lost in the narrative a little bit. So perhaps, actually, to be fair, I've stumbled across some positivity and some mitigation that well, Max Aaron should have had a penalty. Yeah, Max Aaron <laughs> should have had a penalty fifty minutes before the goal got scored. Um, but I thought you knew this was excellent as well today, to be fair, and I've been fairly critical of him the last few weeks because I think he's a really, really talented player and I think, to be honest, had things gone slightly better in his Norwich career, perhaps with the team as much as with himself and also probably with Dean Smith's preference for Brandon Williams over him during that Premier League season, he probably could be playing at a much higher level than Norwich. I think he's probably got the capabilities, so... um, I probably do expect a lot from him at this level and uh, he's starting to deliver it over the last couple of weeks. So you're probably looking at that for some positives, maybe some some way of raising funds. Um, 
this summer because it certainly looks like Norwich. Save it, save now. it, save it, <laughs> save it. We're not using it all now. We're not using it all now. Pad, Coventry got beat. Was it? Was it four 0 in the end? Exactly. There's a positive. Things could always be worse. <laughs> yeah, four 0 at home to Alex Neal. Well, all, all, I, all I would add in, in seriousness in, in this race, uh, well today, and, and it's probably why today feels a little bit of a missed opportunity because Mill drew, Blackburn yeah. lost. Yeah. Coventry lost. Obviously, West Brom were playing Mill, so they drew. Interestingly, with them, they have a game in hand, which I think would take them to sixty points, wouldn't it? Because they're on fifty-seven. Who? West Brom. West Brom, yeah. Um, so that again would would push Norwich further down the. But I don't know when their game in hand is or who it's against. To uh, off the top of my head, but that is an interest. Obviously, Norwich have to go there as well, so that's a yeah. an interesting one to keep an eye on. I, I wouldn't discount them totally. Um, yeah. Um, any, any, well, anything nearly, positive? It's nearly fans? over. It's nearly over. That's a, that's a what, positive. What this pod? Or? No, no. Well, that that and the season. Yeah, that and the season. Um, I'm being flippant there, of course. But uh, Abu Kamara, you know, getting uh, his first start yeah. today. That's a reward for for me. The last two seasons, whenever I've watched the development game, he, he's been a standout. So, you know, he's been knocking on the door, proverbial door. David Wagner clearly likes what he sees. <coughs> Excuse me. So, he didn't... To give him his due, he didn't really, you know, impact the game t- too hugely. But then, you know, he's coming into a very difficult situation. But the the mere fact that we saw him on the pitch, I think that that's a good signal. Uh, and Gibbs as well. I'd like to see a bit more of Liam Gibbs now. And hopefully, you know, once the game is, as it seems to be, up uh, definitively, that we will start to see those players. Because uh, there's no doubt that, if you're a fan base and particularly if you're a home fan and you've been to a lot of these car road affairs and, and again, you're leaving potentially early today, they need something. They need something to visibly show them that, OK, we accept it hasn't gone where anybody hoped it was going to go this season, but there is hope and there is, there are fresh young players who can come in, obviously within the right framework and with the right experience around them, but there is something to cling on to going into that summer and... Um, it's funny because the parallels are, you know, this probably this time last season we were saying something similar about Dean Smith get Johnny Rowe in and oh, I'm always a bit, know, I'm always a bit wary of this that, yeah. we, that we that we get to again we got there a little bit last season yeah, we did where it's a bit young players are the saviour again and well I'd stop short of that but but ultimately in terms of a renewal and a sense of freshness and shedding this idea that it's the tired tried and trusted who we're going to rely on again. I think it sends signals. I'm not saying it, they're going to, as Kamara showed today, they're not going to come in and suddenly take the championship by storm. I think that's unrealistic um, because the backdrop is one of a lot of things need to be, I think, ironed out uh, on and off the park at that football club. So, but it does it does send positive signals to your fan base that that okay, you know, in these type of players, there is a little bit of hope that a new era can begin and a, a new cycle can, can get underway under under David Wagner because, um, you know, clearly, if this this season ends anywhere between 7th and 10th, we'll say, in terms of the spread, then for me, that, that should be the end for quite a lot of these players. And, and, and that then opens up a whole different kettle of fish about how you actually move players on and the save it save yeah it, I know, I know. Save and the contractual it. elements of players we're still under contract beyond this summer but we'll leave that for the summer but uh, but but yeah but it uh, yeah I, I i'm not trying to assert that abu kamara is i know it's more the narrative yeah, but, it, yeah. It, exactly and you know because ultimately in these last four games his go-tos haven't delivered 
And if they're not going to deliver over these next three games particularly, then uh, the game's up. So what's to be lost by um, exposing some of these uh, younger talents um, because they'll be needed next summer, uh, sorry, next season, that is for sure. Yes, uh, right. Two Easter games. Uh, I think we're probably not going to record in, until then. So happy Easter for people listening, watching. Uh, they don't read podcasts, so that would be an odd way to go. Um, six points available, Sam. First question, how many does Norwich City need? Six. How many will Norwich City get? One. One? One? Yeah. Ooh. Where's the one coming from? Uh, Rotherham. Is that, it is, it is Rotherham. <laughs> Paddy, same for you. Well, How many I, points in Norwich City need? Well, I need six, but I thought I was being a slightly t- tough to say three, but one is... So, okay, how if many they, if, they, if they walk off, I'm telling you now, if they walk off Easter Monday and they've, only, and they've been beaten at Blackburn and they've only got a point against Rotherham, I think... I, I might have to bring the earmuffs because I think that could... I, I'm not saying it'll approach Blackburn home levels of toxicity and, and it certainly wouldn't be directed, I don't Barton think. Barton got a bit today, Barton. didn't he? Yeah. But, but I don't I'm, know if it was at him or it was just frustration. I felt, I, I, my reading was it was... Uh, and it was a small pocket around the snake pit for me. That's, I felt it was frustration. I think it was just a frustrated, end. yeah, sort of byproduct of this game was built up that you were going to have a good go and they didn't really do that, did they? You know, So I think... And it wasn't just directly at him I think his players were, were accompanying him around the pitch some of his players but you know all joking aside as I say if it is one point from these next two games and, and you know then <laughs> surely can't be one point no I, I'd, be, I'd be surprised he's a, he's a harsh man Mr Seaman so, exactly. but then it oh, could it could geez. conceivably because I haven't checked at the wrong end of the table but Rotherham are right in the thick of it aren't they, they and are. what happened over I saw it socially yesterday that game that got called off has there been has there been some sort of update on that? Yeah, they've, they've rescheduled it, haven't they? I think yeah. Cardiff wanted it replayed because uh, I don't know if you've seen the videos, but yeah, there the are pitch, some there yeah. are some very clever Rotherham groundsmen who are pushing water off the pitch and then bring it back on with these yeah, wonderfully yeah, long yeah. brooms. So yeah, I think that's going to be rearranged. There's talk that Reading could lose six points as well. I think we're kind of waiting to. I think obviously they want it pushed into next season because they're on forty six at the moment. So. They're probably just about there. I think QPR are below them with forty-two. So that's some. If, that's some. I mean, again, I don't. I don't want to say uh, it could be worse, but I, I mean, when Reading came here just before Christmas, they were yeah. they were not that far off the top end of competing, were they? So they've had a horrendous run. Norwich City didn't beat them this season. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But yeah, it's it's fascinating, and I think those games as well you can never really take for granted when you, you're playing a team near the bottom they can be more dangerous than, than playing a team mid-table so, as so well so hold on so we've so. got 1.3 points Connor Southwell 4 4, wow. four. And, and, and I'm going to go for free at Ewood Park well, yeah, but I, you know you can flip those you can flip those uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to end it on a bit of optimism and a bit of oomph to. Oh, Blackburn have lost today, haven't they? They have lost today. Yeah, I just yeah. Don't, I just don't think they're that good. But they're, well, they're, those words could come back to haunt me. So well, they've already beaten yeah. Norwich twice. League yeah, and but again, I, does That's that mean anything really? Are we getting? Are we getting? I'm going to be clipped up by like Blackburn. Room, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 people. Now there we go. That's uh, such is life. But I think what I will say is I think they're onto a good thing there with with Greg Broughton and and John Dal Tomlinson. So. I think they're another one. It would probably be a bit too soon if they yeah. went this year. What they've done in year one is, is fairly remarkable. So I think I've backtracked enough there to make it okay. <laughs> so that's all right. Um, 
if you uh, obviously this won't mean much if you're listening on audio but we are recording this podcast hopefully if that phone is still recording um and this is we're, we're in the utopia room which is uh i don't know comical maybe yeah. after, after what we just experienced this afternoon uh there's there there was water in these mugs uh it wasn't we've got some mugs in front of us with the the various news brands uh well i have water in mine i got paddy did it so i can't speak for himself but um there is there is some uh, I won't name the brand, but there is some beer, beer bottles out there. But I know you two are clean living lads, so we yeah. I thought we'd stick with the water. Yeah, water like having a cold substance in a mug is quite controversial. I think I thought I was worried um, actually that people watching would think how absurd it was for me to be drinking tea that presumably had been sat there for like an hour. I think that would have been fairly yeah. rank. So yeah, it's good you've qualified there. Actually, I'm not. I wouldn't drink cold tea on a slow basis through the favourite biscuit to dunk in a cup of tea <laughs> <laughs> this has gone well this podcast um um oh, I can, you know I can think of the little name but uh hobnobs they, dr- <laughs> they drink half of it though if you love lemon yeah but I don't mind it I don't mind it I think it's that's fine really but I'm not really a dunker anyway to be honest you um, nah I think it's, oh, I don't like dunker. soggy things I think mean, I'd rather <laughs> <laughs> brilliant pad Ginger nut. Oh, great show. What the, the, are we talking? Are we talking the double stack one with the cream in the middle? No, no, that, is that, no, is behave, that a ginger nut? What's that one? Behave. I don't know what that. They're nice. An though, abomination. That's yeah, what that nice is. One. No, 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 no. No, no. You, need, you just need a substan. If you're going donking, you need a substantial <laughs> spherical object of a biscuit nature. We'll move on now, Connor. Custard yeah, cream. Connor didn't give us this. Face, Custard cream for me. Custard cream. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, you're obsessed. You, with you, that. You've yeah, got you've got some good options there because you can go for the whole sandwich. With a dunk, can pull them in half. Yeah, two dunks. Are you ever pulling them in half and then licking the cream? No, no, <laughs> no, no. I'm not an animal. No, I'm not an animal. Fair. Yeah, I forgot about your love for custard creams. Anyone that yeah. hasn't been in the Norwich City uh, press lounge, Connor usually finishes off the custard creams. For Hang on, all the rest well. of us that might want some custard creams are denied because well, not Connor to, not arrives. to go Chris Wilder on you, but you should get there early. <laughs> that's, that's true. To be fair, you are there early, so you know, congratulations. Any more on biscuits, Pat? No, no, no. no. <laughs> no. It's, it's a sad indictment of where Norwich's season is that we've just spent the last three minutes talking about biscuits. This yeah. is what happens when you ban talk of a rebuild. Yeah, this, this is true. Yeah, this is true. That seems like an apt place to leave it anyway. Thank you very much for listening, for watching, if you've done that again. Um, there was lots of nice comments, constructive comments about uh, our video last week, so keep that up. Although... It's literally a phone on a tripod and I'm using my phone as a microphone. So we're not working high tech here, but I think it's just about worked, hopefully. So that works well. And of course, audio, uh, hopefully we're coming loud and clear to you. I think we, we have been. Uh, my phone still says it's recording, so that's that's positive. We will see you at uh, Ewood Park. Have a lovely Easter. Um, what is it? People eat at Easter, is it lamb? Enjoy your lamb and Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and... Various biscuits. Biscuits, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have, a, have a dunk over Easter and let us know what you have a dunk with. Um, and that seems like an apt place to, to leave it. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again very soon. <laughs>